0: Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another, hey, it is a Red Shirt Friday edition of Rural Route. I know most people are ready for John Bolin the first Friday of the month, but somebody wanted airtime. And I don't tell that somebody, hold on, Nina Teicholz. What we do when we gather every day at this time is discuss the issues between rural and urban America. Great news, you moved out of New York City since I saw you. I think that's wonderful, Nina.
1: Well, we're we're sheltering outside of New York City. I should say, at a in a rural Connecticut. So, um, yeah. So currently, I'm rural, not urban. But we can speak to issues on both sides. <laughs> Coming As you
0: from rural Connecticut, Nina Teicholz, the author of The Big Fat Surprise, executive director of the Nutrition Coalition and uh, you just told me something that I did not know because you and I don't communicate like we used to. I don't know why. You don't talk to me anymore. Uh, Another edition, a second edition of the Big Fat Surprise this year? Yes,
1: it should be coming out uh, unless everything's turned upside down as it is, but it will include updates from the last uh, five years of what's gone on in nutrition science and probably more aptly nutrition politics, the diet wars. And, um, some of the, some of the stuff that's happened to me over that time, um, you know, such things as getting disinvited from a national food policy panel because I don't think the right way according to, um, mainstream nutrition science. Anyway, that's coming out later this year. So, so yeah, that'll be something to look forward to. And, um, You know, what else is coming out later this year is the dietary guidelines, which I don't know if your listeners know much about the dietary guidelines, do they?
0: Uh, I'm guessing mine know more than most, but there is no too much information involved. Hey, by the way, can I air a complaint before we go into that? Of course. You know, just like three weeks ago, and I did leave a message with you, I spoke in rural Connecticut. You were not in the audience. I spoke in Fairfield, Connecticut.
1: Oh, so first of all, I wouldn't consider that rural. It's down. By, I think that's down by the coast, and it's like a suburb of New York City. But I might be getting that wrong because oh, I've, no, I've I think you're right. never been there. You're right. Secondly, you didn't even tell me you
0: were going to be there. So I called you.
1: You didn't call me back. Oh. All right, well, uh, no, let's see. Like, Imperfue- imperfect communications <laughs> in the time of COVID. Let's start a blog. Oh <laughs> uh,
0: Yeah, it was actually before COVID, so we can't. No, it was just when it started. Mm-hmm. When I, I was in England, I came back from England, landed in Newark, and then um, drove a car over to Fairfield. I tried to call you going through Manhattan, knowing that I was wow. going to be there for two days. And once I left Connecticut, which was on March 7th or 8th, yeah. And wow. It broke. Loose. I think we
1: were we were already leaving town by then. That was yeah. pretty dangerous traveling around at that point.
0: Have you been in New York City in the last week or two? Nobody's nobody No. There.
1: No. We left three weeks ago today and we have not been back. There's really no reason to go back.
0: I agree with that. Other than to take a carriage ride. All right. So what I know and what my listeners should know, unless they miss a day or two, is that uh, the Dietary Guideline Committee has made its recommendation. that now will go to uh, comment no. period.
1: Incorrect, incorrect, sir. I'm correct. Me. You already. So that's why you're here. <laughs> so first, I need to explain to your listeners why they should care about this. Okay. Because right. anytime you hear something like "oh, some." Policy somewhere you just think oh, I'm going to turn my ears off because it seems really boring, but the reason this policy matters is that it is our country's main nutrition policy, and so it influences things like the lunches for kids in schools, K through 12, all to K through 12 education. When your child comes home saying, uh, "You know, I can't eat meat because it's bad for me," mom, dad, that comes from. K 12 education, food in 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 nursing homes for the elderly, food for the military, the whole military. We have an obesity problem in the military. Food in hospitals. Uh, you go to the hospital and they give you. Um, this had just happened recently, where somebody asked for a fruit cup and they gave them those those colored fruit loops
0: <laughs> as an alternative. No, they did um, not.
1: Yeah, no. I I got a photo sent to me. So all of that all of that food and much, much more. Oh, I think maybe one of the most important things is um, that these guidelines are downloaded by the healthcare professional associations, doctors, nurses, dietitians, nutritionists, really consider it their Bible. And so when you go to one of those people and say, I need some help with, with my diet to lose weight, bring down my blood pressure, their advice is what they're telling you comes directly from the guidelines. I mean, if you think that a healthy diet is... More whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, low-fat dairy, low f- and, and, and lean meat, that is the guidelines. And in many cases, doctors in large medical practices will suffer or fear medical malpractice if they do not deliver the guidelines. So, you know, all medical full education is based on it. So it really is, they have a very wide, pervasive reach in this country, and, and, um, you really can't get away from them. And Can I, can uh, you can know, I give you, you th- one other
0: example that I don't think sure. you, you've even incorporated? <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is up close and personal, and it really affects us today. Uh, you know, every cattleman, when they sell a, a beef animal, they pay a $1 checkoff into the beef checkoff program. The beef checkoff program, I won't give you all the policy behind this, but it is considered government speech. It's very openly. Every single message that the beef checkoff generates from an advertising standpoint must be approved by the USDA. And so for the last 12 to 13 years, I've been shouting at the top of my lungs that we have tremendous science. Even before Nina Teichel showed up in my life, I was shouting, we have tremendous science about intramuscular fat. And intramuscular fat is monounsaturated fat. It's a fat, CLA fat that we'd, everybody needs. And do you know with our own checkoff dollars promoting our beef, we cannot say that because the Dietary Guidelines has not acknowledged that fat's an important nutrient yet.
1: Yeah, or they'll say, they say it's a non-essential nutrient,
0: that you don't need it.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's, it's, there are stories on the dairy side that I hear about, about dairy checkoff dollars being used to promote. They cannot say that whole milk. They cannot. Either the milk you get directly from a cow before it goes into a factory or whatever to spin off the cream. They are not allowed to promote whole natural milk. They have to promote not only do they have to promote low fat milk, they now have to promote plant based milks, so called milks. Almond milk, soy milk. They are they are being forced to use their dollars, dairy farmers who are going out of business right and left, at least on the East Coast, and they oh, they're being used to they're being used to. They're being forced to use their checkoff dollars to pay for plant-based milks.
0: Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to throw that little tidbit in that the dietary guidelines do matter to everybody.
1: Yes, that's true. And so they come out every five years. They are co-issued by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and Health and Human Services. Um, and they every five years they're supposed to review the latest and most current, most rigorous science. Um, uh, and just so you know, they started in 1980. 1980, uh, so obesity rates in America were fairly low. I mean, quite low. In uh, I don't know if you've seen those maps where the states are gradually turning a more alarming shades of pink and then red, which means everybody's got obesity. But in 1980, almost no state looked like that. Um, Low rates of obesity, in 1980, the dietary guidelines start, and that is the exact year that obesity turns sharply upwards in America and starts its relentless climb up, which has not stopped since. And, of course, is accompanied by other curves now of um, steadily increasing rates of type 2 diabetes, even type 1 diabetes. Heart disease has not been significantly uh, reduced still, Uh, number one killer, cancer coming up as the other number one killer in the country. I mean, these diet-related diseases are now, uh, there's an estimate recently out of the University of North Carolina that say that 88% of Americans have one of these diet-related diseases defined as um, taking medication for, for one of them, having a pill that means you have high blood pressure, you have... Um, you have something for your cholesterol, but 88% of Americans have one of these diseases now, at least one. They're usually, you know, they come together, so usually you've right. got more than one at once. Anyway, it's, it's truly amazing what's happened to America, and I think the other tie-in here is that when we're talking about as everybody talking about.
0: Uh, uh, I'm gonna have to say the other tie-in when we come back. With the second leg okay. of the journey, Nina Teichel, is the author of the Big Fat Surprise, executive director of the Nutrition Coalition. We're back with more Redshirt Friday Rural Routes. After and right off the bat today, we're going to talk about the certified Piedmontese beef opportunity opportunity for cataman to add value and then capture the value in the beef that they produce, all thanks to the myostatin gene and what the Piedmontese contribute to the beef eating experience through tenderness tenderness will always be the top eating characteristic you want to get paid for that properly get a hold of marlin will at lonecreekcattleco.com he has full details welcome back to roll route trent loose on red shirt friday and as we say thank you we wear red shirts to say thank you for the military men and women for 243 years but the food fight is also about freedom. And I think people have a better handle on that today than maybe they did six months ago. Uh, not to detract from where we were, the other thing that you were going to share with us, and I so rudely had to interrupt you, Nina.
1: Not at all, Trent. The uh, The other thing that is so relevant here is that COVID 19, it appears, um, we have, there's just growing evidence that. The the really uh, worse Im- outcomes that we're seeing, particularly death, of course, is um, those are highly tied to people who have metabolic conditions. So there was a statistic out yesterday that in Louisiana, 97% of deaths are um, are among people who have some form of metabolic disease. So 40% with diabetes. Twenty something percent with some kind of cardiac problem, um, and, and it's just—I mean, these are the numbers that are just repeated in every study, and it really shows you that if your system—if your—if your system is metabolically broken, um, it means that your immune system is weakened. Uh, it, it's a funny thing, you know—the immune system is kind of hard to picture, but. It's, and it's an even a weirder concept to think that your immune system basically starts in your gut, and uh, it, which is a bizarre <laughs> idea, but really when you think about it, it, it makes sense in that a disease, any kind of disease or illness can enter the bloodstream, that one of the easiest ways it does that is that it crosses the through your gut lining and into your bloodstream. And, and if that is not, a really tight, secure, um, non-leaky border. Then, then a lot of illness will enter into your bloodstream and get you sick. So that is really where a lot of your immune health comes from. And if you've got a metabolic disease, you you're you're not you don't have a healthy immune system. Those two tend to go hand in hand.
0: Would you find it interesting that in 1987 I started feeding pigs solely based upon gut health, because Dr. Fred Matson taught me that if the gut and the microflora are not right in the pig, nothing's going to work. All immune health comes from the gut. 1986, Nina, where have we been in the human population?
1: That's really true. That's so interesting. Which, it is definitely true that feeding of animals is far more sophisticated than feeding of humans. I mean, you know this, how do you fatten a pig?
0: Uh-huh. Well- Carbohydrates
1: carbohydrates, and what I was told, or there was an old article I came across that said skim milk and carbohydrates.
0: Yeah, we it, don't feed them skim milk anymore, but... Yes. Oh,
1: well, that's pretty much what I had for breakfast every morning <laughs>
0: growing up with <was> skim <laughs> milk and carbohydrates. I never once <laughs> thought of you as a pig.
1: <laughs> but I did get fat. <laughs> so, anyway, so... What's happening with our, di- our, our dietary guidelines is the question. And, you know, a lot of our guidelines are just flat out wrong. They're based, the, the reason that I founded this group called the Nutrition Coalition um, was primarily to frustrate myself at the, at the incredible difficulty in changing anything in Washington, D.C. And I've been very successful in that aim. But secondly, I really wanted to change these dietary guidelines so that they are based on good evidence. Now, just to give you an example of some of the recommendations that are currently out there that are really not based on good science, we are told still to eat six servings of grains every day, right? That is a lot of carbohydrates and, mo- and too much for people with diabetes or obesity or heart disease. You should not be eating that level of carbohydrates, but we're told to eat that daily. 10% of your calories from sugar, says the Dietary Guidelines. Well, that's not you know, sugar is probably the worst kind of carbohydrate because it has absolutely no other there's no nutrient value of sugar. Uh, and both grains and sugars tend to be addicting. so, and then in I want to say that in a very specific sense in that they don't because they don't provide the nutrients that you need, they they uh, people overeat on them because, they're trying to get the nutrients that they need in their body and they're not getting it so they just eat meat 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 you know it's like you can eat endless amounts of cookies crackers chips crisps whatever mm-hmm. it is but you uh, you cannot overeat on foods that do give you the nutrients you need which is which is you know a, a stack of steaks i don't know how many people can really overeat on that it's not really possible you just get full Anyway, the Dietary Guidelines also recommends uh, you know lean meats, only lean meats, and and they don't recommend natural fats, so no butter, no um, you know don't use your bacon fat to cook anything in. That's supposed to be bad for you. Instead, they recommend they they mandate 27 grams of soybean oil for every person every day. So that's what the kids are getting in school and people are getting in nursing homes is, is soybean oil, which is. You know, industrialized factory product that it comes, you know, it's not like milk out of a cow, one step process. Mm-hmm. Industrialized soybean oil is like a 15 step process that involves deodorization, winterization, stabilization, degummification. I mean, that's not a natural product.
0: Uh, I did not even know myself that we mandated that through the dietary guidelines.
1: Well, it depends on what program you're in. So, if you're in your school lunches, you don't have mm-hmm. an option but to use 27 grams of, of soybean oil. It's also, I'm, I'm fairly sure, that's what is being served up in military mess halls. Right. Those are the formularies that go out to these places that, that that depend on the guidelines. I'm pretty sure the hospitals follow that. Mm-hmm. There might, and the women and infant children programs. Um, yeah, I don't know which programs might have a little bit more leeway, but but most of these programs are using soybean oil, which we don't have to get into this, but by the way, right. soybean oil when heated creates hundreds of oxidation products that cause inflammation, which is it which is terrible for any kind anyone with a cardiac problem. So what's but going but, on now yeah but
0: butter is butter's never been hotter in my life. People are eating butter like they used to.
1: Well that's great to hear. I mean, not everybody, but you know, a right. lot of food. It's going to be interesting to see what happens during this time when people are not going out to eat, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because where you get a lot of those fake foods is in restaurants, um, because they, you know, they don't use butter in restaurants because it's more expensive, so they fry and they cook everything in, in oils. And they just—they didn't always used to be that way, but they were told to be, to do that because of the guidelines, and then they all right. transferred over. French fries, everything is 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 cooked in oil. But so maybe now with more home cooking, there's still a lot of oils at home. People use canola oil; they think that's better, or they they uh, there are different kinds of oils that seem to have made their way into kitchens. Maybe not so much anymore corn oil, hopefully.
0: I think coconut oil is still pretty heavily used and that's been one of the key components of the uh, yellow-pink slime goo balls that they try to pawn on us fake meat.
1: Well, coconut oil is actually a better oil to use because it's highly saturated and that means that it doesn't break down when it's heated. It's a more stable kind of of, uh, oil Mm. and it will not... Oxidize and therefore will not cause inflammation. So coconut oil is actually a better one to cook with. You may not like it because it's not traditional in America. It is definitely used by the fake meat people uh, who don't want to use something like butter or lard or anything, um, you know, any kind of animal product. But but it is safer to cook with if you're if you're looking for someone to cook with, and it has a nice nutty taste. If you're yeah. if you're baking.
0: I don't but lard is I, better. <laughs> I do like coconuts. Alright, I'm a I'm a coconut fan, always have been. My grandpa was, and I just like coconut. But at our house there's always a big pat of butter, lard in the refrigerator, and a huge pan of bacon fat on the on the counter ready to use at all times. That's all we use.
1: That's what we've got too. Yeah. So
0: thirty seven tallow.
1: We also have we also have tallow.
0: Do you buy that? Yes. Really? I I went into every meat shop I could when I was in England and in Connecticut, and uh, I was really intrigued by the products that I saw that were available, like beef tallow. There was a good supply of beef tallow in every shop I went in, so I figured people were buying this.
1: Well, there's a company, and I have no connection to them, so this is not an advertisement, but there's a company called fatworkers.com, and they make great, they make, Goose fat, tallow, schmaltz, uh, chicken schmaltz. I mean, they make everything, every hard fat, ah. and they're great products.
0: Awesome. Nina Teichel is my guest. The Big Fat Surprise on a Red Shirt Friday saying thank you to the troops. We are halfway through already. We'll take a break. We'll come back and finish this discussion. I don't know if we ever finish the discussion about the dietary guidelines, but we continue to bring awareness. More after this. The All-American Beef Battalion continuing. Once we get through this, we will be back in the trenches saying thank you. We always say thank you, but the way that we say thank you, Nina likes. It's with a one pound pounder ribeye. More details about the All-American Beef Battalion continuing to say thank you. April 26th. Is our 12th year anniversary, 500,000 fed. That's a significant endeavor. All thanks to you and your generosity. Stakesfortroops.com to stay abreast of full details. Welcome back to Rural Routes. Trent Luce alongside Nina Teichholz. Not really alongside, she's hunkered down in Connecticut. I'm in rural Nebraska. Uh, so let's just make sure we get back to this. Where is the process of the dietary guideline? Because the last I thought that the the health, the committee, which you already said is half USDA folks, half health and human services, I thought they made a recommendation that they were gonna say no change in fat, it's all the same, is now going to public comment. You poo-pooed me saying I was wrong, but I interrupted you too many times to get to where it's at today. Where's it at today? (laughs)
1: Well, the expert committee which is appointed every 5 years, it's a um they they're appointed from universities and they come together and there's I think 22 members this year which is very high. They uh they're supposed to come out with their report in mid-May, their expert report. I think it's being delayed now till mid-June. And uh I guess there are a couple highlights that well, several highlights I'd like to point out. So my group is particularly interested with um, something that you might find boring, but we we find really interesting because it's super important. I, I, which is the scientific rigor of the process. Like, are they actually reviewing the science in a way that uh, follows state-of-the-art standards? That is something that would be accepted by, say, you know, the international community or even just the top people in the field in the U.S. Um, and it's a little bit like. You know you need to have a stone or concrete foundation for your house, because if not, whatever you build on top of it is pretty much a house of cards. Like if you don't have a proper method for reviewing the science and you just mush it all together. and so an animal you know a study on animals is given the same weight or importance as a study on humans, and then there's a weak kind of science that only shows association but not causation. That study is thrown in there with more rigorous actual experiments that can show cause and effect. And all those studies are mushed together, that's pretty much what the gut the USDA is doing. They're not using any methodology that reflects that anybody could recognize, not verified. So so everything they do is just built on this kind of foundation of sand. Um And so we're really concerned about that because we actually were able to encourage Congress to get the National Academies of Sciences and Medicine, which is the highest scientific body in the land, to do the first ever outside peer review of the dietary guidelines process. And one of their, two of their top recommendations were you need to use a more rigorous process for reviewing science. And the USDA ignored that recommendation. This National Academy's report Why, why would, says, the, why would
0: USDA ignore that?
1: Well, because uh, well, there's there's a there's the a which is we don't have time, uh, or we're already doing something like that, or we're we're kind of doing it. Um, we think we're doing it, and uh, I would I would say my my cynical interpretation is they really want to replicate their existing guidelines. They're attached mm-hmm. to them. They believe in them. They believe if only Americans followed the guidelines, they'd all be healthy. So there's a there's a there's an investment in their right. existing policy, which is that's what I mean. I hate to say this, but that's what bureaucrats do. They they become invested in their policies and well, attached to them, and they don't want to change. And if they actually applied rigorous science to their recommendations, their recommendations would fall apart.
0: And how much of it is actually saying, "Wow, if"? If this nutrition coalition is right and we applied science and we found out we had been wrong for the last 40 years, they don't want to be wrong.
1: Nobody wants to be wrong. Raise your hand if you want to be the person who's really wrong and has maybe really hurt people.
0: I find when I'm wrong and go public with it, I meet a lot of new people. So it's kind of fun. Well... But if you're the USDA, you don't want to raise your hand and say we've maybe maybe we've maybe we've made people sick and die prematurely. Yeah, so that's the bottom line. They're afraid to admit that they were wrong and caused chronic illness and disease and death.
1: It is it is highly possible that that is the reason because yeah, you know, these recommendations. The, let me just give you, you know, the ones that are not based on rigorous science are mm-hmm. uh, eat whole grains. No science to show that it gives provides any benefits at all. No rigorous science, I mean to say. Fruits right. and vegetables, no evidence to show that that actually improves health. They've looked at it, studied it, cannot find benefits. I'm not saying don't eat fruits and vegetables, I'm just saying don't do it thinking you're improving your health. Lowering salt to the levels that they recommend, really low, that actually shows harm for um, for many people. So that you're really the science shows you should have a moderate amount of salt the two biggie recommendations that we're fighting right now are the caps on the continued caps on saturated fats. Um, you know, saturated fats, the reason that we are supposed to eat lean meat or not eat very much meat at all or low-fat dairy. And those caps are really based on, um, were never based on good science. And now the really incredibly shocking news and they realize the reason I want all your listeners to go to our website and immediately call their representatives in congress is that they want to the, the committee on on fat said they want to lower the caps on saturated fats even further mm. down from the current 10 percent limit down to seven percent and this is led by a woman named linda van horn who spent her entire professional career trying to lower saturated fats and demonizing saturated fat she's schooled by somebody i don't know if your listeners will remember this name, I, mean, I know you you would, Trent, but, but a close colleague of Ansel Keys, um, Jeremiah Stamler, who's, mm-hmm. that was her mentor. And, you know, this goes back generations to the original saturated fat recommendations that she is trying to uphold. One of the members of the committee actually said, why don't we reduce the saturated fat cap down to zero? Because it's not an essential nutrient.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: which is just shocking. I mean, it shows such a lack of knowledge about food. I mean, saturated fats are in nearly all foods. <laughs> There's almost, even, even, even in very small amounts, they are even, you know, vegetables. But Oh, and fruits. There are, many, there are many, many nutritious foods like meat and dairy that contain saturated fats. Is this person proposing that we just get rid of those foods? I mean, it's just crazy. Um, It is crazy. This person who suggested that, his name is Jimmy Ard, who is a medical director for Nestle, which is one of the biggest junk food makers in the world. So, Mm you know, this is another recommendation I should just mention. The National Academies threw in there. They said the Dietary Guidelines Committee needs to um, publish their conflicts of interest, their financial conflicts of interest, and they have not done that. But I would think that Nestle is a pretty big one.
0: Well, there's more than just one on there.
1: Oh, we have a long list that we're preparing to publish.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, I I guess this is the right time to do this, knowing how this might distract us. But uh, the recent news is that 200,000 deaths could occur from COVID-19, right? Right. And there is fear and pandemonium because it could kill 200,000 people in 2020. Nina Techels, do you know how many people Medical Doctor Air has killed each year for the last 20 years?
1: I do know. I have added up numbers from the Centers for Disease Control, which is mm-hmm. a government agency, mm-hmm. on a number of people who die from diet-related chronic diseases every year. And I can tell you that 4,000...
0: You're getting ahead of me. Just play my game.
1: Well, I don't know every year for the past 20 years. I, can I do.
0: You- I do. It's reported.
1: Okay. Listen, you tell me your number, and I'll tell you my number.
0: Uh, yeah, you, But see, you're already at the conclusion before you let me go through the equation. Okay, go. <laughs> go. I'm sorry. 200, 250,000 people each year die from medical doctor error. I'm not talking about giving bad dietary advice. I'm talking about they made a mistake. And usually it's about information and the wrong dosage. They don't read the charts correctly. Nina, it's the third leading cause of death in the United States, 250,000 people a year. Nobody talks about that. It never makes news. But COVID-19 is going to kill 200,000 people this year. I don't say that lightly, but I'm just saying let's put everything into context. Now, my next question, which is going to give you the chance to go where you wanted to go just a moment ago, how many people from the medical community are involved in structuring these dietary guidelines?
1: Yeah, but first, I have to give you my number because it's going to make Go your ahead. number look like nothing.
0: So, <laughs> you could be a rancher because you're not trying to tell me your <laughs> ranch is bigger than my ranch. Go ahead. Um, so
1: people dying from diet-related chronic disease every year is 1,679,000.
0: Yeah, that so makes two hundred and fifty look like a little deal.
1: I'm afraid so. Your ranch is just just not up there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Um, and, so that's and most of that is because their, their doctor has given them bad dietary advice. Precipitated by dietary guidelines, correct?
1: Yes, exactly. They're making them sick and worse and not telling them how they can reverse their diseases, which is just to bring back the dietary guidelines. So the, the most promising nutrition advice that is currently supported by the greatest amount of rigorous evidence but again, I hear I mean clinical trials, actual experiments is carbohydrate restriction, so reducing carbohydrates of all kinds and increasing the fat in your diet, and that will help. Um, that's been shown in a clinical trials in two clinical trials to actually reverse the diagnosis of diabetes. It's very effective with weight loss. It, it helps. It reduces blood pressure and the vast majority of cardiovascular risk factors. That low-carb diet is being ignored by the Dietary Guideline Committee. Uh, this one in 2020 says they can't find the studies. They they don't know where they, they, they are supposed to find them, but somehow they can't find them. Well, I'll tell you, we did a literature search ourselves and came up with over 100 studies. They mm-hmm. can't seem to find them. And back in 2015, they did a a literature review, which they then um, decided not even to make public. They stuffed it in the methodology section. We know this from Freedom of Information Act uh, uh, emails that we acquired showing a whole discussion. I don't think we should be burying it there, says one professor from Harvard. And somebody else says, you know it's a large body of evidence. We should, we should publish this in the diet section. And somebody else said, no, we're putting it in the methodology section, which of course it doesn't belong there. And it meant that there would be no recommendation based of, uh, you know, no recommendation about low carb diets. So we not only have a committee doing the wrong thing, but they're actually excluding and burying evidence and they're doing this on saturated fats as well. So we, you know, it, it, it is, it's sort of at a level that is, Worse at incompetence and more on the level now, I would say, of scientific malfeasance.
0: Nina Teichel is my guest. One more segment. Roll out after this. Quick reminder, your young person has the opportunity to compete in Exarbon 2020. Details about all of the deadlines and what you can expect the last weekend of September in Grand Island at www.exarbanstockshow.com. Welcome back to Roll Routes. I'm Trent Luce. into the final segment, Nina Teichel is my guest, 1.6 million. That's how big your ranch is. We should just spend a little more time on that. Tell us again how you got to that number of diet-related deaths. So you go to
1: the CDC website where they say that 60% of Americans have one or more chronic disease. All those diseases are diet-related and you add up the number of deaths that they calculate from those diseases each year, and you get to that number. And then you divide it by um, 365 days in the year, and you realize it's 4,600 deaths a day, which oh, I can't remember. What's I calculated this in terms of jumbo jets. I think it's something like, oh, I can't remember now. But, but you know, it's, let's, let's say it's 10 jumbo right. jets. Crashing and killing everybody on board every single day.
0: That'd be newsworthy.
1: You would just land. You 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 just you would land. You'd ground the planes and say, "Look, whatever we're doing is not working." What you know, I understand. We have theories that maybe if people follow the guidelines better, this wouldn't be happening. But we need to ground the planes and stop whatever we're doing and really reassess. But instead, we have a whole nutrition establishment of experts and and people in government who say, what we're doing is right, Mm. there's nothing wrong with our advice. The problem is that people don't follow it close enough. And, you know, this is a policy that has now had, it started in 1980, so we're we're 40 years into this policy where everybody just keeps getting sicker and sicker. And there are alternative explanations. We do eat more junk food. We eat out more. But if you look in, if you look in terms of how people have or have not followed the guidelines, according to the very best government data, people really have followed the guidelines. Like we eat uh, almost 40% more grains than we did in 1970. I'm using 1970 because that's the number that the government uses in its reporting for um, food. It's it's food availability minus loss so that's what they calculate as food consumption so you know, we eat 28% less red meat in that time 35% less beef we eat uh, 19% less butter we eat 20 to 35% more fruits and vegetables we eat uh, you know 19% less animal fats i mean there's not a single category that you can find in that data where Americans have not moved in the right direction according to the guidelines. We actually eat less sugar than we used to. Since 1999, our sugar consumption Mm. has gone down and our our refined grain consumption has gone down, and yet we continue to get more obese, more people with obesity. So I think that this idea that, you know, it's not, it's not our problem. The, pr- the planes are crashing because the people on board are doing something wrong. <laughs> it's like,
0: right. no,
1: we're we giving them the wrong advice. We're simply giving them the wrong advice.
0: So is the current situation with COVID-19, gonna, this reset that we have, have you seen any indication that people are taking a look back and saying, wait a minute, we're creating these people that are vulnerable to issues like a virus?
1: I do not see people in nutrition making that connection yet. I mean, certainly the numbers are out there and people are writing about them, but I do not see that as, a, you know, being taken as an opportunity to reflect upon the potential mistakes that might have been made. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that will change. I don't know. I just I, I think so. You know, one thing that I think is very sensitive and delicate is that you don't want to be blaming people for their suffering. By saying, "Oh, you know, because you have this condition, you put yourself in a in a worse situation. That's certainly not the message that we want to be conveying. We want to be saying you're more vulnerable than ever now because you were put in this position. But you know, and the other thing is that I think that's that is a fair fair to say is that it takes time to recover from a metabolic disease. It's not something that happens overnight. You don't just put on your mask and then you're protected. Right. To reverse, di- I mean, people do reverse diabetes within weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say reverse, I mean reverse their diagnosis of diabetes. People go on a ke- what's called a ketogenic diet, very low, very low carb, and within a matter of weeks, they're off all their medications, or or nearly all, and their 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 measures for blood glucose control are are down below the level of diabetes um, diagnosis. People have. Sp- Tremendous success fairly quickly, but it just is not overnight. Um, and, you know, this disease is happening to people overnight. So we can't heal everybody but that quickly. But I think we can definitely make progress if we could just get people the right advice. The whole struggle of my group is to try to get the right advice out to Americans. Like either to say to the government, just get out of the way, or give people advice that it's based on good science. So you, you know, but the worst thing to do is to actually you know, to do harm. Like at least do no harm is what we argue.
0: So I see the Nutrition Coalition as one of the, the solutions. Coming with bipartisan advice, just strictly what the rigorous science says that is beneficial to human health. What can we in the country the real folks that care about this, do to assist the Nutrition Coalition?
1: Well, thank you for asking. You can Our website is at nutritioncoalition, one word, .us. Um, mm-hmm. And you can go there, and there are a few things you could do. You could, on the home page, there's a click that says, says take action, and you can that will take you to a page that puts you in touch with, in touch with your representatives in Congress, and you can call them or write them or tweet them and let them know, that these issues are important to you. You know, you the, the issue that's up there is, is is on saturated fats, but you could talk to them about, you know, you want you want science-based guidelines. You want better advice. Um, and talk to them about how important this is to you. I think that they feel when we visit people in Congress, they say, uh, you know, we don't hear from people. We just don't hear this is an issue that people care about. And I think that's because we've gotten to the point where we've just become um, – you know, we just don't have any more ideas or solutions for obesity or diabetes, and people have just learned to live with it. We've learned to live with this incredibly high level of disease, and so people don't think to to raise up about it. But we need to. So I would encourage everyone to do that. You know, call your members of Congress and let them know how important this is to you. And then I think the other thing you can do is hit the donate button and donate to us because we are. We don't accept any money from industry. We are pure. We uh, we are actually suffering in this time of downturn because um, a number of our donors have also suffered. So we we can definitely use support. Um, and those are the two things that I – two ways I think every person could really make a difference if they if they would like.
0: So but, obviously that's my MO is tell people to get a hold of their congressmen, get a hold of elected officials – the problem being, it's really noisy in that realm. And somehow we have to be so loud with so many people to rise above all of the noise, particularly now.
1: But I think it's significant. I agree with you. And right now it's maybe COVID all the time. And so maybe you lead with a comment saying, I think this is relevant to COVID and I'll tell you why. But um, but as I'm saying, these members of Congress have say to us that they never heard from people on this issue. Ever. I mean, there are people that they hear from all the time. I just don't believe that.
0: I don't believe that.
1: Not on not on chronic disease. They don't have people saying, I want, uh, you know, your your guidelines are, are wrong. They don't hear people complaining about the guidelines because we're the first group to raise serious issues about the guidelines. Seriously, no group before us has ever done this.
0: Yeah, In- including our ag groups, our commodity groups, by the way. I've had this argument with my own commodity groups that I fund through checkoff. And they're like, oh, we don't want to use our political capital there. I'm like, how can you not want to use your political capital on something that improves human life? That's what we're talking about here. You said it. We've learned to live with chronic disease. Why would we be willing to accept living with chronic disease when we don't have to?
1: Well, I, th- I think there is this... Uh this quality i was trying to explain earlier of sort of learned helplessness people have become accustomed to it's like, like it's the new reality is living with four or five medications living just thinking there's nothing i can do about this extra 20 30 pounds i live with it's just that's just the way it is so i give up and that's because you go to your doctor your doctor says look i live this for years i was a vegetarian for years and i would go to my doctor as i like, always say how do i I can't you know." 20, 30 pounds overweight. Eat more fruits and vegetables. Eat more whole grains. Get, you know, Make more bread, more pasta. And I would do exactly that, and I would just get fatter. Oh, and cut back on saturated fat and don't eat red meat. So, And that's what everybody will tell you. And then I think what happens is people learn to be helpless, which is they just give up because they've done everything they can and they've followed the doctor's orders, which are the guidelines, and then they don't know what else to do. So then they're just like, okay, doctor, give me the pill because – I couldn't do it with diet. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so I think people's voices, if they're heard about the dietary guidelines, it will be a first time, and I do think that representatives will listen.
0: Well, I suggest that we just get so loud they have no choice. I'm with you. And I'm nutri- with you. Nu- <laughs> and the Nutrition <laughs> Coalition is that night carrying the banner in the front. We're going to make that happen. Uh, Nina, we have one and a half minutes what do you want us to most know?
1: Well, I think for anybody who has not read or watched these videos out there, like they don't know this knowledge. But number one, most important piece of knowledge is: do not fear the fat. Do not fear eating fat. Fat is good for you, especially animal fats are good for you. Don't fear those foods, that those fats. They are all healthy and good for you. Do not fear. Do not fear red meat. No, there's absolutely no health harm from red meat. I'm going to be speaking to the converted, but if you want to do something to improve your health, then you can cut down on carbohydrates and increase the amount of 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 natural animal foods that you that you like. So and they're delicious. So don't fear them. That is my that's my helpful it, piece of advice for how people going about the day.
0: Don't you have some piece? Uh, maybe it's even on Netflix or something now that everybody's sitting at home watching television that you did without me?
1: Oh, that's a film. There's a new documentary out called Fat Fiction that I was interviewed for, did not produce, but it's a uh, a great movie, and it's a great introduction to these issues and, and basically how we got it so wrong. It's called Fat Fiction. So watch that documentary and then read my book because I think that my book is still the only real explanation of just how did we get it so wrong. And Mm -hmm. it's like a thriller, uh, or it's been called a thriller. That's my favorite description of it. A nutrition thriller, which you think doesn't even (laughs) exist as an oxymoron.
0: That'll do it. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America, The Big Fat Surprise, if you've not read it. Read that thriller. It will be thrilling (laughs) because you'll be healthier. (laughs) Nina Tyshul's my guest. Both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route, whether you're in Connecticut or Nebraska. And want to remind you about Team Loose on Facebook. Pictures posted. Boars semen been going left and right this time of year for summer breeding. Spots and Burke boars and pork chops. We have a plentiful supply of pork chops. If you'd like some Team Loose pork chops, go to Team Loose on Facebook. Send me a note. Give me a call. We'll deliver.